Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. So welcome back to the Compassionate Capitalist Show. I'm excited to have everybody listening together again today. I'm excited to uh, have my topic that we that we're talking about today. It's really about making your money work for you. And that is a, a big part. Anybody that's read my book knows that I do a lot of emphasis on Robert Kiyosaki and the cash flow quadrant and the idea of getting out of working for time, trading time for money but getting to a point that you're having your money work for you. And of course, the traditional ways that people have done that in the past is stock market and real estate investing. And, and a big push in my book is on angel investing, investing in entrepreneurs so that they're working very hard and passionately towards a goal that you're helping them to achieve. And oftentimes, it's been a long time since I've done anything specifically you know, focused on real estate and that as an asset class. And I, and when I was approached to, to interview my, the guests and have this conversation with Chris Larson today, I was like, this is perfect because now I have somebody that has a great strategy and pathway to become a successful real estate investor, but also has experience as an angel investor. And so, you know, so many times uh, we're conv I'm convincing real estate investors to start investing in entrepreneurs, right, as what I do. And here we're going to get to hear the experience and the stories and the philosophy and the success tips of somebody that has that plays in both fields. And so I I'm very excited to have Chris on today. Say hello, Chris, and I'll introduce you. Hey, how you doing today, Karen? Great to be here. Yeah. So, okay, when I wrote my book of, of Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, that goal was to help sophisticated investors manage their own stock portfolio and investing in real estate, to take those financial muscles and skills and apply them to investing in entrepreneurs. And so you know that a lot of what I've done within the book is I compare real estate. We're going to talk about this and we're going to have Chris being the expert in real estate, say what I've been saying is true. Okay. So I compare a lot of times real estate to investing into, uh, uh, into entrepreneurs in, you know, a couple of different ways that you can get started and depending on your risk pro and risk pro uh, profile and your access to capital, how much money you have to invest or what tools you have. And there's a lot that I've taken from real estate investing that I've applied to angel investing. So it's like, do you do a flip, which is, you know, buying in real estate and, you know, buying something, fixing it up and flipping it, you know, buying wholesale, selling at retail, so to, so to speak. It's kind of like a convertible note and bridge financing and work, working capital financing in the angel investor side of things, being the bank, you know. Or are you going with a strategic speculative investment that you may not see a return on for many years to come as it grows in value because you just know that, you know, owning this land out by this lake at some point is going to be worth a lot more money or, or where there's a, a transportation plan that's going to take a new road through someplace? 
or when you um, want to get a, a reoccurring revenue stream and you invest in rental properties or multifamily homes or those kinds of things, it's going to create an annuity. And, and in the uh, angel investment world, we talk about that in royalty financing or revenue factory financing, where you're getting paid a percentage of the revenues until a, a multiple is paid off. Or sometimes people just, you know, have a, a shared revenue strategy because of the structure of the company and the offering. So there's very, there's a lot of similarities here. And, uh, and so, you know, given the, the insight that, um, that Chris brings to the table, we're, it's going to be an exciting conversation. So to, it's, uh, buckle up and, uh, you know, strap it in and uh, let's get started. Uh, I want to make sure that y'all take a note of this. We'll say it's in the show notes, but uh, Chris's uh, website is Next Level Income, and it's also the name of his book that covers the, what there's no way we can cover all. There it is. If you're watching. He just showed it. He also has a podcast on the topic. And it says, is it also called Next Level Income as well? Is your podcast? We keep it simple, Karen. We got nextlevelincome.com, Next Level Income Show is our podcast. And then our book okay. is Next Level Income as well. All right. So good. So Chris Larson is the founding and managing partner of Next Level Income that we've been talking about. Chris has been investing and managing real estate for over 20 years while still in college student, right? It's never too early to get started. He bought his first rental property at the age of 21. And from there, Chris expanded into development, private lending. That's kind of the thing that we talk about on the uh, investor being a bank. Uh, buying distressed debt as well as commercial offices, and ultimately syndicating into multifamily properties. He began syndicating deals in 2016 and has been actively involved in over $225 million of real estate uh, investments and acquisitions. Chris is passionate about helping investors become financially independent. And in addition to real estate, Chris has invested in equities, oil and gas, and done some private small business lending, again, as a bank, and is an active investor in Venture South in one of their chapters that's up in his hometown in Charlotte, right? Nearby, Asheville, just Asheville, right up the road. Asheville, yeah. Asheville. Okay, yeah. So very good. So okay, so thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really um, excited to hear about this. Um, so, uh, so did you, let's say, when did you write your book, The Next Level Income? Yeah. So Karen, I wrote the book a few years ago. Actually, we just updated it. It was published the month, actually the week that everything shut down for COVID <laughs> okay. just over a year ago. And we recently, right. re, uh, we recently launched the audio book as well. So if you're listening today and you want to learn a little bit more about what we, have, what we have to say, you can check out the book link on our website and I'll even send you a free copy if you put your address in there. Yeah. So, okay, good. So now, um, how, what, what inspired you at 21? I mean, that's a really young age. Most people in there in college, last thing you're thinking about is taking some chunk of change and going and, and putting it into, into real estate. What inspired you to get started so early? Yeah. So Karen, I, I was always, uh, an entrepreneur. I had a job cleaning out our trash cans at our local community beach when I was young. So I'll tell you what, if, if you have to clean out dirty diapers and warm maggot filled meat from a beach trash can, then that sets you up for success later in life. Because, you know, you, when you start there, there's not a lot below that. I can tell you that. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was, that was <laughs> my they, first I, gotta, I, have to, I have to ask this. 
Was that TV yeah. show, you know, horrible jobs? Have they done, have they done a showcase? Oh yeah. Dirty like, jobs. <laughs> dirty <laughs> jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've done, uh, oh man, I grew up by uh, yeah doing that shoveling shingles during July with my stepfather on, on a roof who was a contractor. Um, yeah. I uh, did landscaping for my uncle. I had a paper route. Uh, at 12, I sold newspaper door to door. I'm sorry. Um, wrapping paper door to door to try oh, to earn extra money. Um, and then I had basically like, uh, it was, it wasn't really a lawn care business, but I would do leaves. I would do snow in the winter, um, in all the more affluent neighborhoods. So I'd make like 300 bucks in a weekend, you know, doing leaves or snow while my friends were working, you know, part-time after school, what, what took them a month to make, I'd make in a day. So, um, and then I started racing bicycles. So I was racing bicycles and, um, I go up, I did, did relatively well. I was state champion at age 15. Um, I've been to the world champ world championships have been national championships multiple times. Um, but I make like $500 in a weekend racing my bike as well. So I always knew there were other ways to make money that you didn't have to go work for somebody else. And when I got into college, um, I was, I was in school to be an engineer, but I really just wanted to race my bike. And, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about this before the show there. I had a real punch in the face between my freshman and sophomore year in school. I'm racing. I'm at a race. My best friend, my roommate, my training partner, he was like a brother to me, Chris Strader. He passed away of a massive brain hemorrhage. Oh, and no. yeah, it was, um, and you know, I, I know we, we talked about my father passing away when I was young, but when you're five years old, a death in the family has a different impact than when you're 18 or 19 years old. And I went back to school. I didn't want to be in school. My grades really suffered, but I just jumped on my bike every day and I poured my heart and soul into that. That was my therapy. But after a year of that, I realized that even though I was being, I was successful, I was winning a lot. Um, my team actually went pro right after I, I quit, but I realized I wasn't happy. And I came back to school after that, that next summer after my friend passed away and I quit racing my bike, but I'd been, I'd started a Roth IRA. I had been, uh, I started day trading in the stock market and I realized that I wanted to live every day to the most, to the best of my ability, but I also wanted to do an honor to my friend who didn't have a life to live. So I knew every day I got up, I had to make the most out of that day. And I just realized that going and riding my bike for three, four, five hours a day wasn't what that was. And I knew I needed money to make that happen. I needed freedom and financial freedom to make that happen. Um, so I was, I was trading in the stock market and I was actually doing pretty well but it's very volatile. So, you know, in the late nineties, we had a market that was a lot like today. And one night, it was actually one morning, it was 3 a.m. I'm laying there in bed and I'm thinking, do I really want to be doing this 20 years from now when I'm 40 years old? And, you know, just thinking about losing money or making money in the trades. And it was just, it was nonstop. I couldn't turn off. And I started looking at other areas of investing. I read 250 books. I actually got an MBA in portfolio management and ultimately decided that the, the ability to control value in real estate, the leverage in real estate, and the ability to scale in real estate was a good fit for me and my personality. So as you mentioned in the intro, I bought my first property at 21. And uh, actually just yesterday, we closed on a $55 million property over 200 wow. units down in Florida. So we're over 2000 units now. So it's, uh, it's, I like to say it's a get rich, slow strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and if you start as young as you did, then, uh, it's, uh, you're not too old. <laughs> Never too old. If you're listening, thinking, well, I, this is, this isn't for me. That's not true. 
I talked to a 45 year old doctor today and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so behind. I'm so behind the curve. And here he is, he's making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He's got stuff set up with life insurance and different investments. And, you know, he feels like he's behind the curve. So if you're listening, you know, you can, no matter where you are, I'm the same way. You always feel like you could have done something sooner, faster, better. And that's why it's important to listen to shows like yours, Karen, because you realize you can learn from other people and accelerate and flatten that learning curve. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I'm always curious because when I was, uh, when I first took over the angel investor group that I ran um, and uh, I had, been a part of it as sort of the I call I said my I was the Vanner White of the organization <laughs> and um, I was uh, I would always sit down have a cup of coffee or you know whatever some beverage with um, an investor and say how did you get started in angel investing why did you do it how did you learn those kind of things and I was always um, I always was uh, dumbfounded that a the most common answer was, well, a friend invited me. I invested in this company. I lost all my money um, in that investment. I made five more investments. And on the fifth investment, I actually, you know, figured it out and made money. And I always thought that's a horrible way to, to learn how to be an angel investor, you know, is to learn by losing. You got to have some serious fortitude to do that. So, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's why I wrote the book. If folks that are watching us, the book behind me, anybody else, you know, the, go to the website, carerans.co. But Inside Secrets to Angel Investing is a primer for people to, to learn, would you, should you, could you be an angel investor? So you tell a little bit about, you know, one, when you did your first investment, you said you read, you read 250 books. Did you go to some of those workshops yeah. about me? And, and it was a, like a flip or one you bought like as a foreclosure and fixed it up. And then, and then, you know, we're at what point during that process of learning about real estate, which takes a lot of, of time and, and effort to get good at as well. What motivated you? Who tapped you on the shoulder to said, Hey, come check out investing in entrepreneurs. Yeah. So it took me a long time to get to the point of, of investing in different angel investments. So, and I, I tell people, I didn't realize when this was about 10 years ago, I thought accredited was you had to have an income of over $200,000 and a net worth of a million. And I just never really looked into it. It wasn't, it wasn't there. So when I realized it was accredited and that was always my goal. So I write in my book, you, you know, the strategy is learn how to make more money, keep more money and grow your money. And I always tell people, whether you're a professional or a business owner, figure out how to become accredited. If you're not making two or $300,000 a year, you are going to be limited in your opportunities that are out there. And anybody can do that, by the way, if you're listening, I had somebody say, well, Chris, what do you say to somebody that's making $50,000 a year? How how are they supposed to save 50% of their income, which is my rule. So we go make more money. If somebody's (laughs) making $50,000 a year, it's really easy to double your income. Go drive Uber. If you, good on social media. If you watch TV, if you watch sporting events, if you do any of those things, I talk about how you can make 10 hours a week and and go start a business and do that. So, um, that that's the first thing, but yes, I started reading, you know, we can go deeper into the story about real estate. Um, but I learned that we had a local angel investing chapter, Asheville angels, that is part of now, now, uh, I think 13 or 14 chapters across the Carolinas here. Um, I'm in North Carolina, but 
I went to one of these meetings, I started learning about it, started researching these companies. And I decided that this is this is a great addition to my portfolio, because I have some very conservative, in my opinion, real estate investments. And I wanted some higher returning investments on the other end of the spectrum. But I also wanted to invest in, as you say, the entrepreneurs, the local businesses that we had. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's a lot of similarities when it comes to real estate and businesses. Yeah, really? So like, what, what, what do you see as similarities with businesses and entrepreneurs? I mean, with yeah, businesses so, and real estate. Yeah. So if we're on the phone, if you call me, you say, Hey, Chris, I'm interested in investing in, in some of the opportunities you have. And you say, what, what, like, what are some questions? What are some risks? I say, there's three big areas of risk in what we do. So just if anybody's listening, if you're not hundred percent familiar, a real estate syndication is simply when we go and we find a real estate opportunity and we bring in investors along with us and those investors invest alongside of us in these deals. That's a syndication. That's the syndication model. So in a syndication, there's geographic risk. Like, are you investing in a bad geography? There is the team, the operations risk. So are you investing with a team that knows what they're doing? You have to be comfortable with the geography, the team. Then you have to be comfortable with the deal level specifics. So if I'm looking at a company or a young entrepreneur that I'm going to invest in, I want to say, hey, am I interested in this sector, in this business sector, number so one? The industry is similar to your geography comparison. Correct. Correct, in my opinion. Number two, there's a team involved. So yeah. a lot of times in the angel investing space, we talk about we don't invest in a company, we invest in a team. So we always investigate the team. We want to make sure that that team has experience, that they are well-rounded. And a lot of times what we find is these entrepreneurs that are, you know, that come up with a new technology, a new idea, they do a phenomenal job in getting that, that technology or that idea to viability, but they're not always the right ones to run the business, to scale that business and do that. So you need a team to do that, just like you need a team in real estate. And then finally, you can actually look at the numbers and say, hey, does this make sense? If we invest in this business, if we invest in this real estate, are the returns going to be commensurate with the risk? Right. Okay. So good. So when you were getting, when you got started that you, did you follow that kind of path of a, of a flip and then a single hold it and make money and then into multifamily or was it just looking at each deal on its own? Tell a little bit about your journey on the real estate side. Yeah, good question. So, uh, how much time do I have? I'm joking. So, uh, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, I'll be succinct. So, I started off 21. I was buying single family rentals. So, very simple, Karen. I would go out. I would buy a property. I would make sure that that property produced enough cash flow each month to produce a profit, and then I would go buy another property. And I did that until I had enough properties that were producing ten thousand dollars a month in net profit before debt service. So. You know, then I would, you know, then you pay the mortgages off. So I said, you know what? All I have to do is go get a job, make enough money so I can buy these properties, which I did. I had, I had my portfolio built by the time I was 25, 26 years old. And then I said, I'm just going to pay these properties off over the next 10 or 15 years. And then I'll have $10,000 a month coming in. And that, actually that was, that was like uh, at that age. So adjusted for inflation, it'd be even more today. Well, what I found after 10 years of managing that portfolio, getting phone calls on my honeymoon, literally in Costa Rica, I'm on the phone with a realtor dealing with a tenant issue. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm spending $30 on this collect phone call. My wife, now wife is sitting there looking at me like, why are you on the phone? And I, I knew there was a better way. So 
I started looking to other opportunities out there. And at a business meeting with my wife, somebody said to me, I should look into multifamily. So I looked into that space. Um, we also were building spec homes at the time. So my wife is an architect. So we were wow. building spec homes in addition to that to create additional capital. And I started looking into the space. And if you read my book, you'll, you'll learn this. But I spent 18 years in the medical device industry as well. Oh. I got into that industry. I moved to the Carolinas for one reason, demographics. So I like to say demographics are the tide, right? You want to move and live in an area, invest in an area that has a rising demographic tide. That's going to lift all boats, right? That's what they say. Rising tide lifts all ships, lifts all boats. So I, what I learned was the multifamily space, we're talking about 2012, 2013. I learned that it had all of the right demographic traits to be successful over the next decade. So I sold all my single family rentals. I put all that money into commercial real estate, mostly multifamily. We also have some commercial office um, investments as well. Uh, we also self-storage is an area that we're expanding here. But multifamily has been the dominant force in our portfolio, about 80% of what we do here over the past decade. Yeah. So like you, so you have, because I want to talk about this project that you just finished uh, investing in. The, I think you said it was $55 million? Correct. Yep. That yeah. in Orlando, Florida. So that was a, um, you know, that was done through syndication. So in the nature of, of just becoming successful and doing this and uh, have you, and you just naturally develop partners that you can co-invest in or how do you find, how did you create your syndication? Yeah. So um, six or so years ago, my, my first partner and I, he was, he was investing with the same group I was with and we looked at, we looked at these individuals. They were doing a phenomenal job. We actually partnered with them on our first deal. We went through kind of like their mentorship program and, and worked with them. And my partner and I looked at us and we realized that, hey, we have, we have a lot of experience in real estate. We'd both been doing it since our 20s. We both had extensive business experience and we had complimentary traits on paper. So we said, he came to me and said, hey, I want to buy um, an apartment building. I want you to be my partner. And let's go find some investors. Well, we had already naturally, as you kind of alluded to, Karen, had investors and friends that had come to us, family members, like, hey, well, what do you do? What do you invest in? I know you've been doing this for 15 years, Chris. What are you putting your money in now? Multifamily. Oh, wow. Tell me more about that. Oh, how wow. do I find one of these investments? And then you, you start scratching your head and thinking, wow, like this is actually something not only that we have the good skill set for and we have a good team for, but we also have, there's a desire for this space. So six years ago, I started building out my network and it was one investor, four investors, four, you know, now we're at over 400 investors today. Wow. So, you know, that first deal was a little $9 million deal. The next deal was a six or $7 million deal. You know, so we've built up over the years to where we can, we can go and we can buy 50, even close to a hundred million dollar deals with our investor network. And what that means is we're buying deals that are more efficient and they're also safer and we can also be more competitive. So the deals we're getting, a lot of other people that are looking, a lot of groups that are trying to get these deals, they never even get the chance. We get there first and the owners, the brokers come straight to us with these deals. Yeah. Has the Opportunity Zone fund legislation affected how you invest or where you invest? That's a great question. So Opportunity Zone, it's, it's, it's a fantastic area. If you're not familiar with it, if you invest in that space, there's some terrific tax advantages to investing in an opportunity zone. So there's a lot of, there's funds out there. Um, that's not something we've specialized in. Part of the reason is most of the qualifications for properties that are going to fit the mold for that 
our development and our model is what more what you would call a value add strategy, Karen. So what we're doing is we're going and op and buying businesses that are already operating, they're already profitable. I call it the Warren Buffett strategy of real estate. So we buy a business that's already up and running. It's already cash flow positive. We improve income, we improve revenue, and we improve operations to increase the net operating income. And because these apartments are valued just like a business on net operating income, when we follow that path, that same formula every time, we're able to increase the value of the properties in a predictable fashion. So like Warren Buffett, we're a little boring when it comes to that sort of thing, <laughs> but we're predictable. But that's why this tends to be such a nice compliment for angel investing for venture capital, because you have something, you know, they can have tremendous returns in venture sure. capital, lots of excitement, lots of, you know, lots, lots of um, different um, industries and companies that are out there. And this is kind of, you know, just something that chugs along yeah. and produces solid returns year after year. Yeah, I think every investment portfolio should have real estate in it, as I personally think every investment portfolio should have some form of private equity angel investment in it. So, you know, you got to yeah. spread it out, Agreed. right? And so, Agreed. well, you have this this concept, this term that I, it was new to me. I've, you know, I've had be your own bank and things like that, but you call it infinite banking. So uh, share with our listeners what that, what that yeah. means as infinite banking. Yeah. So let me just underscore what you just said. I, I agree with you hundred percent. If you look at, I always say invest like the rich right. and r the rich have 25 to 30% of their portfolios in income producing real estate. Mm -hmm. And most of the rich have become rich because they were invested in a business, a family business or some business that they heavily invested in. And those same families, those ultra rich typically continue to invest in that space through startups and other things. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Karen. So invest like the rich, you know, Dave Ramsey's okay. If you want to, if you want to, you know, invest like the poor, but if you want to be like the rich, listen to what Karen's saying. So, um, Let's see here. Infinite uh, banking. Up to inf yeah, backing up to infinite banking. This is another concept that the rich use. Yes. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say a word, and to a lot of people like the Dave Ramseys, the Susie Ormans out there, this is a bad word. Whole life insurance. I've heard I've heard people say, "Oh, Chris, whole life insurance that's expensive." Well, my mother passed away about ten years ago, and my stepfather said, "Hey, we didn't have any insurance. It was too expensive." Now. Anybody that's ever used it, insurance, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I had too much insurance? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got paid too much when this, this negative event happened? No, you, there's no such thing as too much insurance, right? So when you hear whole life, people say, oh, there are better investments out there. That's true. Life insurance is not an investment. The infinite banking concept is like a Roth IRA for rich people. So what it is, and if you know, know real estate, if you understand businesses, you understand insurance. Term insurance is like renting. You're leasing, you're renting, you're paying for that policy for a period of time. When it's over, it's over. There's no value there. When your lease is up and you move out, there's no equity there. My policy, my life insurance policy is like a mortgage. When it's paid up, it's paid up. And guess what? There's a lot of value there. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash value. So what my group does, and for for the record, I'm a licensed life insurance agent. And what my group does, we specialize in helping investors take and structure life insurance policies to maximize that cash value. And guess what? Just like a house, just like a piece of real estate, you can pull that cash out 
and you can use it for things like angel investing, like starting your own business, like buying a piece of real estate or investing in a real estate syndication. And if you structure it properly, and that's the key, you have to be with the right company. You have to have it structured the right way. There's a ton of advantages and it's a tool that's tremendous that can be used for things like financing, you know, a car purchase, vehicle purchases for your business, your kid's college education, um, you know, real estate. We used to, we used to fund our, our spec homes that we built all kinds of things. It's a wonderful tool. So is it, um, how does it differ from a self-directed IRA or a Roth IRA that when you invest in real estate, for example, or you invest in uh, like the revenue cycle management, revenue financing on the thing that the income from that goes back into that investment right. vehicle and accumulates, you know, post-tax. So it's after-tax income. And, uh, you know, that's one of the real benefits of that. Pre-tax. Pre-tax. Well, it depends on it. Yeah. Depending on if you, if you create your, yeah. your thing as post-tax or, or pre-tax, right. It just goes into the same well, way. Qualified, qualified, qualified plans are pre-tax. Yeah. Whereas, so that's a big difference is if you structure these life insurance policies, they're right. post-tax. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. post-tax. Okay. 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 Yeah. yeah. So when you pull money and so that's, that's one of the cool things you can do the same thing. So there's a funding period. So if you, if you start one of these policies, unless you pre-fund it, so it's kind of like, it's, it's very similar in a, with a qualified plan, an IRA, um, 401k, where there's, a, you know, if you're investing every month, if you're paying down a policy every month, you know, it takes a while for those funds to build up. And once those funds are built up, then you can use them. The difference is you could fund a life insurance policy today and pull that money out right away and then go use it. Now, the difference is there's a cost because you're also paying for insurance. The difference is we structure policies so we minimize the amount of insurance and we maximize the cash value. So it does a couple things. One, it decreases the cost of insurance. So we're minimizing the cost that's going out there. And then it also decreases the time that it takes to get that amount of cash in there. So when you pull that cash out, if it, like let's say you take $100,000 out, you invest in a real estate investment and five years later, you get $200,000 back. You can replace that money. And if it's structured properly, you can put that whole $200,000 back in that policy. And these policies typically pay a dividend within them of four or five, sometimes 6% as well. So they're actually earning a return inside of that policy and yeah. the payback, the break even for the insurance it's, it's usually not that long. A properly structured policy breaks even on the cost over five to seven years. So again, there is a cost associated with it. That's the big difference where, when it comes to these things, Karen. But, but, but the income that's produced off of that investment, you just it doesn't go back into the policy. You, re, you keep it unlike when you invest through one of the structured offerings. No, you can absolutely put it back in the policy. Uh, you, yeah, you. But it's it's up to you as an investor to decide to do that, or are you obligated because you're paying it back into the policy? That's a that's a great question. That's why it's that's why, in my opinion, these policies are better. You don't have to put it back in the policy. As a matter of fact, if you have a hundred thousand dollars of cash in the policy and you pull that hundred thousand dollars out, you never have to put that money back in. You can you can take it out. You can leave it out. There's no tax ramification because it's after tax. And the benefits were so great that Congress actually passed a law back in the 80s to restrict some of the tax benefits from these, from these types of policies. And that's the other thing. If you don't structure them properly, they become taxable and you don't want that either. So again, if you're, if you're listening, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to do this with my, you know, my agent. Like I, I have my insurance through State Farm. I used to work for State Farm back in my early 20s before I started in the medical device industry. 
State Farm can't do it, unfortunately. I, my agent's like, oh, we can do that. And I asked him, you know, the series of questions. He said, oh, I'm sorry, actually, we, we can't do that. Um, that doesn't mean State Farm isn't a good company. They just don't have the criteria that works for these types of policies. So make sure you're working with a professional if this is something that's interesting to you. We have a banking page on our website that has a lot of resources to help anybody out that's interesting. And that's, that's why, again, nextlevelincome.com to go get that information. So, you know, you mentioned earlier about um, a team, you know, and you're looking at a team as part of something when you're making an angel investment, but team is also really important when you're deciding about different investments. And so like, you know, on the angel investor side, we always say never go it alone. Not only do you want to have professionals, you want to have an, uh, somebody that's on an accounting side of stuff to, that if you're, to be able to look at financials, look at forecasts and be able to interpret those. You want legal, somebody that can assess the, the legal issues. Do they have all the proper documents? Do they have any potential gaps that could hurt you down the road because of something they neglected to do? You know, are they doing best practices? There's industry experts on stuff within a particular sector. Always good to be part of a group like what you're in in Venture South because you have different people's industry knowledge, different people's life experiences that come together to help mitigate the risk because you've got more brains looking at something and and experience and looking at something. So when it comes to real estate, is there a team kind of approach to deciding and and putting together real estate investments similar to what I just described? Yeah, so you're exactly right. And that's exactly what we do. We have a due diligence team in our angel investing group. And, you know, we raise our hand if we're a good fit. So I've, I've been on some of those teams for, you know, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies that are within there, because that's my background. Um, also real estate. So, but our real estate team, what we do, we, we're split up. We have an acquisitions team. So that acquisitions team is actively underwriting deals. So if you haven't heard that term before, that simply means going through the financial metrics. They are going to look at a property and see, hey, does this check the box? Does this make enough sense for us to spend the time to see if it's a good deal? And then they're going to go, they're going to tour the property. They're going to see, you know, what, what issues there may be. Um, our head of our acquisitions team has a contracting background. He was a builder. He also was a commercial insurance underwriter. So he not only knows what it takes and who it takes to fix these problems, but he also knows what it costs from a, a commercial level. We have a financial team. So that financial team is going to, they're also going to participate in the advanced underwriting. So after that first level, they're going to be underwriting the property down to the penny, down to the month, down to the day when it comes to the financials, they're going to be securing financing as well. So he was leading up our, our uh, transition into this property that we closed on yesterday. He's wiring the funds, handling all that. He also handles things like the insurance side of things, taxes, insurance, all the financial pieces. And he has a background. He was a, uh, with De- a consultant with Deloitte and Touche, traveled all over the world, working for massive Fortune 500 companies all over the world, dealing with their finances. So, you know, dealing with a billion dollar portfolio is very comfortable for Danny, who's dealing with yeah. that. And then we have our investor relations and our capital team. So this team, which I'm a part of, it educates investors. It goes through. Also, we, we take part in the underwriting. So that's the common theme here. Everybody's kind of checking everybody else's work saying, hey, does this make sense? Does this, does this make sense? Does this make sense? But then we're also 
monitoring, dealing with investors on a day-to-day basis, making sure that they understand what we're doing. And oh, by the way, after we buy a property, after we close on a property, we, we continue to communicate with those investors on a monthly basis when, um, you know, and also whenever there's any substantial developments within a property, um, if we sell it, anything like that. So we're doing yeah. that. So we're, we're broken up into three different parts of the team, but absolutely everybody has their part. We're always out there honing our craft and continue to improve. Well, that's a real benefit for any investors that don't have their own team, you know, or don't have the time, the cycles, whatever, sort of similar to the when you were getting started because you have clearly built a comprehensive approach to doing this. And that's part of your success. When you were first getting started, did you, did you have any of those additional kind of resources or did you just sort of really, you know, do it all yourself or, or did you, was there a vendor that had like coached you in some of these things or something? Because that could be sort of, uh, you know, that I have a friend of mine that he loves to just go look through and he was like, Oh yeah, this one's got good bones. Right. You know, yeah. and, and they provide those kind of things. And for, you know, that's like, they look to see if there's going to be any major problems. And uh, they got problems with plumbing. They got, you know, things that are going to end up being uh, money sucks when you're trying to get it ready to yeah. make the income that you're buying it for. So, uh, you know, how did you, the, all, some of that training taught you how to do these teams and you kind of put it together or, or talk about a little bit how you ha- evolved over time to having, you know, the great, great, you know, uh, resources that you have now in your company at Next Level Income. Yeah. So if you're listening, thinking like, I can just do this myself. Why would I want to invest with somebody else? The truth is you can, but there's a learning curve. There are mistakes that'll be made and you're the one that's going to be paying for those mistakes if you're doing it all yourself. You can always go faster with a team. That's what I always say. You can always go faster with a team. So we started off, my, my um, first partner and I, we started off working with the group that we invested with and they came on board with us basically as consultants to look over our shoulders and say, oh, did you check this? Did you check that? And make sure that we were checking all the boxes, doing all the right things. By the way, if you want to go get a loan for a $55 million property, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, these private lenders, they're just not going to give it to anybody. You have to have the experience because they want to know that if they take that property back over, they want to know it's a good property. They also underwrite that deal. So you've heard that term now four times, you know, all, all three of our teams <laughs> as well as the lender. And we call the lender our biggest investor for that reason. So absolutely, we worked with a group that started out there, Karen, and then the group I work with now, you know, we modeled our, um, our team structure, everything that we do over, um, after the best companies that are out there. So, you know, it's great that you have the resources that you have, but you know how people are. They want to, you know, go local or something like that. So what would you offer up um, as a one way, you know, you, you don't just open up, uh, this was about to say open up the phone book, but you don't just Google real estate invest, you know, near me. Right. So how do you, I, I mean, I'm, one way we do down here, and I'm, it may be the same with the Real Estate Investors Association. You go and you find people that you can kind of form a team. I've seen that approach, you know, that approach. Um, that's how I've gotten in some of the folks that I've co-invested with and things like that. Is there, you know, a recommendation of where, how people should start looking to form their team and finding people? It's not just an accountant. It's not just a this. They kind of you know, check a box, so to speak. Yeah. So and actually I talk about this in my book as well. I say, Hey, real estate's a team sport. And I walk through everybody that's on the team. So again, nextlevelincome.com, the book 
link. You can get a copy of that and it, it'll walk you through all that. Sorry, I had something pop up here. And it even has um, diagrams in it. It's got pictures and everything. <laughs> pictures. Yeah, I drew with crayon. So, <laughs> but I, I walk, I walk through all the, all the members of the team, kind of like we talked about here. If you want to go local, so it's, it kind of depends. If you want to go local, you need a local team. You need a local real estate attorney. You need a local broker, a local realtor. You need, you know, like you were saying, a local um, accountant, although accountants can be a little bit more regional or national, but it's always good to have somebody that understands there. Go to your local real estate association. That's a great way to get started. You can easily look that up. If you want to do bigger projects, like we, we don't invest in the Southeast because we live here. As I mentioned earlier, I live in the Southeast because I wanted to invest here. That's why I moved here, but we invest in fast growing areas. So if depending on what you want to do, we want to invest in these areas. So then we go into these areas and develop those same relationships with local brokers, local owners that we're looking to oh. acquire these properties from. So we actually have, um, you know, two of my, two of my partners are pilots. We have a jet membership so we can get all over the country so we can fly in on a day's notice to look at these properties and, and get what oh. we want. And, so and again, but then they'll finish just, up. Yeah. So I was going to say, again, it depends on your scale. If you want to, if you want to invest in the multifamily space, you really have to be national to be successful, you know, at, at certain levels. If you say, Hey, I'm comfortable with a four, eight, 16, 20 unit property. You can probably find something local to you and you want to build a local team around that. Yeah. Or like, yeah. So, I mean, in Florida is blowing up. It's just uh, uh, absolutely. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. Well, there has been a huge shift. I, I did a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago with the guy that heads up the Gold Coast Angels down there. And he oh, was cool. disgrace. He was describing how uh, crazy it has expanded because so many people from California and the Northeast, you know, the pandemic taught people you know, how they, uh, the, the pandemics taught people that they could really be anywhere. And if you could be anywhere, why not Absolutely. be in Florida? I and mean, there's no income tax too. So, and the weather's better than <laughs> everywhere. Five out of the other <laughs> yeah. States easy, yeah. easily. Yeah. yeah. So great. So as we wrap up here, Chris, what, uh, you know, any final thoughts, any final things that you didn't have an opportunity to tell our audience? No, I think, I think first off and for, well, let me, let me step back. I, I think we touched on this, but number one, educate yourself. So if you're interested in real estate, if you're interested in angel investing, educate yourself. Number one, number two, find a team, find mentors. And I would include mentors in that team. So I always, I have some coaching clients. I have a very small coaching program. I work with individual investors one-on-one. -on -one. It's not real estate specific. I help teach performance and success in business sales, as well as investing and doing that. You need a mentor, you need a team that's going to be supportive and around you that you can, you can scale with. And then the last part of that is form a network. So that's, that's kind of a different aspect of the team. You want to always have people that you're networking with, growing your network, learning about other things, because those people will help turn you on to new opportunities that are out there. In 10 years, I'm probably not going to be saying the same things that I'm saying today. There's a lot of different areas that we're looking into, such as self-storage that I mentioned, senior housing, which is going to be big over the next decade. And yes. I think there's a tremendous opportunity in so many different areas with these angel investments, with these small sector companies that are coming up. And I think it's, it's a lot of fun to invest when you're looking at all these different things. Yeah, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. So thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show. It's been uh, informative and interesting and fun. 
And uh, that's what more can you ask for, right? And so, uh, again, everybody go to nextlevelincome.com. And then, of course, for me, it's karenrands.co to learn how we work with entrepreneurs and investors to create you know, wealth and bring innovation to the market, the compassionate capitalist movement. Like this show, share it, and onwards and upwards. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.